the assembly, doctrine of the assembly, um, go to church, right? You go to church, you're going to meeting, going to assembly. I remember decades ago, some neighbors of ours, friendly acquaintances, and they were members of what are called the exclusive brethren. And uh, the husband was of questionable Christian status. In fact, after we'd known them for some time, they discovered that he, has, he was saved, that he had prayed a prayer at five, and because they believe in eternal security, that meant he'd been saved all along, and they just none of them knew it, including him. So, uh, interesting doctrine and viewpoint, but I remember her very uh, nice lady with... Uh, Strong convictions and opinions. And uh, trying to explain to me that the word church should be translated assembly. The assembly. Uh, it, it's not wrong entirely. I don't know about it should be. But it does carry that meaning. Uh, not in every place. But, uh, but certainly um, it's part of it. And reflecting a bit last night, this morning, on uh, the history of Western Christendom, right? I can't, you know, Western Christendom, that would be uh, Europe, you know, Great Britain, France, Sweden, um, wherever the Roman Catholic Church has had its empire. And uh, why would we call that Christendom? Well, that's what it's been called. And it has coexisted with real Christianity through the centuries. And how we are accustomed to the idea of going to church and the various activities and approaches to church meeting, right? We're here in an Anglican building, not very grand, you know, in the poorer part of Christendom and put together with relatively... Um, meager means the pews um, you know spare with this stained glass just a bit of iconography at the front and um, but still within the tradition of medieval and gothic architecture um, I, my, uh, my brother's son-in-law right so my brother and his wife and his daughter and her husband were at our place recently um, it wasn't yesterday surely it was Friday, was it? Thursday, thank you, sir. And, uh, you know, and he, he said he's an agnostic. We had a very nice time chatting and just meeting on the basis of our common humanity and talking about the big things of life in a very friendly way. And he was saying, yeah, like, have you ever been to the Vatican, you know? He said, like, I know about the corruption of the Catholic Church, but wow, being inside there, you can almost feel it. It's like maybe they were onto something. Anyway, I hope, you know, he hopes that it's not just all a sham and corrupt, you know. Uh, but the, the, the whole idea, you can imagine the history of the Catholic Church, uh, which er arose fairly rapidly with the passing of the Roman Empire, or at least with the um, stepping down of Constantine. And him shedding the title of Pontifex Maximus, which was not too long after taken by the Bishop of Rome to declare himself <laughs> Pontifex Maximus, right? Uh, 
and then the, the um, springing up of cathedrals and ever and ever grander and grander architecture and the, the priestly vestments as the Roman Catholic Church made this hybrid of Old Testament uh, temple worship and uh, New Testament uh, words and, and um, creeds and hymnody and, and liturgy and this mishmash of things, you know, where you'd have the, the robes all modeled after the Old Testament and the, the incensors and the, um, they had the Eucharist and the table, which is like the altar, all those things that developed and dominated Christendom for about a thousand years. Is that right? About a thousand, plus or minus. Then you had the Protestant Reformation, and they retained much. See, they think Reformation, which is fixing, right? If you're going to reform this building, you're going to fix it, as opposed to knocking it down because it needs to be knocked down. And so you will see these uh, steeples um, on, on so many of the traditional, these high cathedrals in Presbyterian churches, Anglicans such as we're now in these, um, obelisks on top, uh, steeples, which um, those that are studied in um, uh, symbology and, and, and um, world religions and uh, occult and so on will tell us is an ancient pagan occult symbol uh, dating back, I think, to Baal worship, the Washington Monument and all of these steeples that you see on everything, uh, Mormon um, tabernacles, even the Baptists have steeples, everybody. They, these remnants of this um, uh, counterfeit church and the, the whole structure of the, um, the meeting as modeled after the Roman Catholic Church. Till we fast forward here into 20th and now 21st century, say now it's 23 years in, I know. I know. When I was a teacher, I used to say last millennium when I was a boy, you know, just underline my antiquity for them, um, where we have um, contemporary industrial warehouse like buildings and um, bl- screens with blue lettering or blue screen and white lettering and, and uh, electronic instruments and jumped up bands that look like. Uh, uh, poorly done rock concerts, some of them with light and sound and smoke and uh, entertainment and a whole lot of feel-good jump-up-and-down music, um, some sorts of drama, a very theatric, if they're lucky, preacher, um, maybe a, a, an altar call or something at the end, I don't know. Various things. We've been, when the airport vineyard, the Toronto Blessing was a thing, and uh, I suppose as a Christian, it was my duty to kind of know what was going on. I think the sun, one of the Sundays we went, there was a, um, it was Resurrection Sunday. And so there was a dramatic enactment of the resurrection uh, going on there. So you have drama in church meeting today. Uh, we've got the, the rock band, as we said. Um, perhaps in more, less... Theatrical, we'll have more family-oriented things, you know. You'll have uh, Mother's Day specials sang in church on a Sunday morning if it's Mother's Day. Because it was a Christian man that coined Mother's Day. Same for Father's Day. You might have, you know, a children's lesson or special. All of these things 
that we may have experienced and be accustomed to when you, quote, go to church. Everyone with me? All aware of these things? And my question for us today is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And if someone would say, well, it's a family gathering. God's, yes, whose family? It's God's family. So who sets the, uh, the tone? Are there instructions? Does God care? Do we just make it all up? These, I believe, brethren, are important questions for us. And I believe that the Word of God has all the answers for us. That those things of which God cares, and He cares for the number of hairs on your head and for the sparrow that falls, are in His holy scriptures that He's given. And so it behooves us where you could go from a place... I think there's some of them may still be done, although that became no longer official church policy. Was that in the 60s? When was Vatican II? Where they stopped having the Mass in Latin. 65, yeah. So I don't know if anyone does the Mass in Latin anymore. Some zealous Catholics would like the Mass to return to being held in Latin. You can go from that with priestly vestments and incensors and altar boys and bells to a rock concert. And everything in between, doesn't it behoove us to search the scriptures and to pursue the way that God has marked out for us? Amen. It is most probable that we have at least some things wrong. Just think of what are the odds that we have everything right? What are the odds? Not very high. I've got a math student here. Uh, they're not very high that we have them all right. Do we have the integrity to bring our conduct into line with God's word as we learn. By the way, I don't have an agenda with that. These are things I ask myself. Um, I've got an atheist friend from my childhood. We reconnected some years ago, uh, decades now, and then we've really reconnected in the last five or ten years. We just communicate electronically. He's an atheist, um, and he challenges me full-on, pointed, about what I believe. But he doesn't attack me personally. He'll attack my beliefs. Your Christianity is what I call a replacement parent for emotionally immature people. And he likes me as a human being. And I don't take offense. And I don't say, your atheism is because you're weak. No, not at all. I just, we just discussing ideas. See? And we both lament the fact that it seems today very few people can examine themselves and have their ideas tested without taking offense. That's what it seems. And I hope, brethren, that we can at least examine ourselves and what we believe honestly in the light of the Word of God without getting all offended. And be willing to bring everything into line with the Word of God. Now would be a good time to say amen, if you agree. Otherwise, you could say boo, hiss, if you know. But there it is. Now, where are we going with this? I'm, I'm on a path of discovery myself. I don't have an agenda. You know, it's, as I look into the subject, oh, hmm, there's a lot more here than initially I had thought. And Sean is thinking, cry me a river. You should have seen what I just went through 
in my own studies. Right, brother? Yes. He is uh, laboring. So I don't have uh, any agenda to do something hasty or anything, but I believe that, brethren, we should be on a path of seeking to rediscover all of New Testament Christianity. And however far we will get, God knows, but I submit that we should purpose to never stop, to not turn aside, to not be um, resistant to whatever the scriptures would teach. So let us look then at the assembly of God. Assembly. The gathering together of the Lord's people. Uh, Let's look at a couple scriptures. Please don't laugh. This happened to me recently and I still haven't made it to the... uh, I I debated, is it this or is it the purple ones again? So here we go. Um, Let's let's look at... um, Exodus chapter 20, I think, is where we want to be. I, uh, I forget where it was. I walked to the door with someone, took my glasses off, and the other thing fell to the ground, and the screw holding it together was irrevocably lost. Um, so, here we are. We've got all of these scraps of paper with various you know if I was actually organized I would be a dangerous person Uh, I think this is the one I want I say dangerous tongue in cheek of course Uh, Exodus 19 is where we want to start and look at some principles we said I think last time when we were introducing our subject I think Exodus chapter 12 was the first place to use assembly Uh, It would make sense. Um, You know, we're talking about congregation. It's in the Exodus where we meet a congregation of God's people. Um, uh, Exodus 12, 3. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, right? And, uh, And it had to do with the Passover, killing the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, I think, is where we're introduced to that. But Exodus 20 gives us more. That was redemption, right? Exodus 12, the Passover, redemption, the lamb that was slain, that the people of God should not be destroyed with the world. That's the context of the assembly, the redeemed of the Lord. And so the assembly of God's people, what are they? Who are they? They are the redeemed of the Lord. Let's look at some other features here in Exodus chapter 19. Verse 10, all right, so a lot. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And he gives some instructions. Well, we, we could read through it all. Let's keep reading. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, 
it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest, they, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, excuse me, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds upon the Mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and spake unto them. And God spake all these words, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. At the end of which, right, at verse 17, when he finishes with the Tenth Commandment of not coveting, verse 18, And all the people saw the thunderings, and the lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, And the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off. And Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. We'll stop the reading there. Now, that's quite the dramatic passage. And what I would like us to do, what I want to attempt to do with the help of God is to rightfully divide the word of truth. That's a word that Paul said to Timothy. Why? Okay, well, let's look at it. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, oh, that's Old Testament? (laughs) Put in a way to kind of dismiss the applicability of what is said. Everyone familiar with that? Now, there's truth to that. Whosoever shall not be circumcised shall be cut off. That's Old Testament. But you can't bring that into the church and force, you know, new members to be circumcised. 
So we need to rightly divide the word. But uh, love thy neighbor as thyself, that's Old Testament. The Lord Jesus taught it as well. So what we need to do is to use the Old Testament scriptures properly. And it's a bit misleading because the, the scriptures from a Christian perspective are divided into New Testament and Old Testament. Or Old Testament and New Testament. But that is mistaken division if we don't understand it properly. It's fine, but they're really divided into the law, the prophets, the writings, the gospel, the church history, the teachings of the apostles, and the book of the Revelation. That's really the division of the scriptures. Because the term Old Testament literally means Old Covenant. But in the Old Testament is the New Covenant. So we simply need to look at the Bible as a whole and rightly determine what was meant for people in old time, what is meant for people in all time, what is meant for people in our time. Rightly dividing. For example, to whom was it written... When you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, let them which be in Judea flee. To whom was that written? Brother? Well, I thought someone was one of the brothers. It was. Can we be more specific? Brother Sean, this should be fresh in your mind. The first century, let's get even more specific. In Judea. The Thessalonian Christians weren't kind of, you know, looking out. Does that apply to us today? No. How would we ever say that? Let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. So there, even in what's called the New Testament, you have a passage that was for people that would be in the future when it was written, but not today. All right, so we need to rightly divide. Not that we can't learn from it, but we need to rightly divide the word. Let's turn to Hebrews and look at this passage from the perspective there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched. (laughs) I remember a preacher, a lovely man, casually saying, uh, or rather, that might not be touched. And I remembered then, and it stayed with me, this is 40 years ago approximately, how quick, wonderful men, Christian men are, to just correct the scriptures because they don't understand it. We just read, no one's allowed to touch the mountain. So he reads this and assumes it's a typo, or in any case a mistake. It says the mount that might be touched. No, it should be mount that might not be touched. Uh, no. The apostle got it right, and it's right here. He's not saying that they were allowed to touch it. He's saying it was a physical mountain. It was a mountain that you could touch with your hands. 
in terms of ability, not permission. In that specific case, you would die if you did, but he's saying you're not coming to a physical mountain. It's written exactly right. We need to make sure that we understand the Bible, not change it, because we don't like it. We think it, it says it wrong. God help us. So many people are prone to do that. I'm glad that uh, God gave us uh, men that didn't but were faithful to it. We are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Brethren, I think we have before us an example of rightly dividing the word of truth. See, there are some things, this is referencing the Old Testament passage that we read. Agreed? It's very plain. The mountain, a physical mountain. You're not coming to a physical mountain that you could touch, but if you do it, if you did, you would thrust through with a dart. And so that aspect does not continue. You'd rather come to a heavenly mountain, a heavenly Jerusalem. So that aspect doesn't continue. We're not going to cordon off, you know, any part of this, um, this meeting hall and say, no one, no, you people come out here, right? That aspect has passed away earlier in his epistle to the Hebrews. The apostle writes that when the first temple was standing, or tabernacle, the veil indicated that at that time the way into the holiest of all was not yet manifested. That was what the Holy Ghost was signifying. But that day is past. Now we all have access by one spirit to God directly. The mediator of the priests. That is also past. Now you're all priests. There's one mediator between God and man. Jesus. So there were features that were temporary, but there are features that remain. And it is with those features we need to concern ourselves and rightly identify. We all together on this? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's think together then in the, uh, in the scriptures. 
<clears throat> Let us identify from that passage in, uh, and you can pick easy ones. Let's identify from that passage in uh, Exodus and here in Hebrews some of the features of, remember, this is a second place in Scripture of congregation, assembly. The first one was the slaying of the Lamb. Redemption. They became the redeemed of the Lord. This is now the second meeting. Let's, let's go a little easier then. Let's identify from that passage in Exodus features of that meeting, the assembling of God's people. So there we are back in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. 19 had to do with before assembly and 20 had to do with the assembly. Let us identify features there. I'll give everyone a minute or two to refresh. So we started in Exodus chapter 19 and uh, verse uh, 10, I think. Where have I got that written down? Yes, yeah, 19 verse 10. Have a look at that. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. So Exodus 19, 10 to 15, and we kept reading, and then Exodus chapter uh, 20, we looked at. Um, we picked up really in verse 18 to the um, to 22. So, let's identify some of the features there. From 19, chapter 19, verse 10, which is preparation, to Exodus 20 and verse 22. Let's look at some of the features. What have we got there? Joseph, let's have one. Some of the things that we're seeing about the assembly of the Lord. Clear instruction from God, okay. And if you don't, you know, this is a bit like a classroom. If you want to pass, you can pass. Matthew? Boundaries. Okay. Conrad? I can come back to you if you prefer. Do you have one? Go for it. Okay. No, it's fine. I can be like that as well. I just want to hear what everyone else says. Nathan? All right. Dave? All right. I'm just happy everyone's awake, quite frankly. After a, yeah, and everyone is awake. We've got a preacher in the back there too. That's, that's great. Storm. People are sanctified. We'll come back on that. That's good. Anthony. There's some real easy stuff, and everyone's looking for the hard answers, right? That's the problem. You can't be asking two plus two. Actually, yeah, I ask those questions too. Consecration. Excellent. Abe. The people. Sean? It was three days after preparation. Dave? Helen's Dave? Okay, so they're meeting with God. You want to try one, youngster? No, he's passing as well. 
All right. Let's pick on some easy ones that you all missed over. Um, death penalty for breaking any rules. Right? <laughs> Isn't that right? They could not endure that which was commanded. If so much as a beast touched the mountain, it will be stoned or thrust through with a dart. So if you stepped out a line, you lost your life. Not very seeker friendly by today's standards. <laughs> but there, there it is. These are features, right? What about the drama? When I say drama, I'm going to misuse, uh, give the wrong sense. There were a lot of physical representations of God. There was lightnings, thunder, earthquake, smoke, sound of a trumpet, the voice of words. And the apostle says, you're not come to that. Those are all um, powerful, physical things that they saw and experienced. We have a couple of dogs. We have one dog that's... That is interesting. They're both kind of interesting. But when there's a thunderstorm outside, boy, aren't these dogs frightened. Anyone else seen that behavior in dogs? Just loud. It's just frightening stuff. So there was that. Um, Those were elements. Somebody mentioned sanctification and consecration. We had sanctification and consecration. Boundaries. Clear instruction of what was expected. Was that? Yeah, we've had that. Concerning the meeting. Um, How about this? This one's painful. Had the rejection of God's presence by the people. We don't want God to speak to us directly. Did that happen there? That was one of the features. We had the direct presence and voice of God as well. We had the inspired speaking of the word of God through Moses, through man of God. We had the um, speaking of the word of God. So we had the direct presence of God. We had God speaking directly. And we had man of God speaking as Um, the oracle and mouthpiece of God. We had the people rejecting the direct speaking and presence of God and choosing rather to have a man speaking on behalf of God. Is that right? Had that, those features. Um, As well, a lot of physical. Now, so that's what happened. What we want to know is what should be happening, what of that continues. What was for the Old Testament time only? And is there anything there that was done amiss? Right? Let's think and and apply our hearts to wisdom and read the scripture. Consecration. Chapter 19, verse 10. Sanctify them. Go Go unto the people and sanctify them. Today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Now, do we understand, just by way of review, the Old Testament had a lot of physical commandments to give a sense of a holy God. Right? The Lord Jesus put those things clear. And the New Testament shows that these have to do with the heart. Right? 
So, you know, if they had to wash pots, and if you touched a dead lizard, you'd have to sit outside the camp and touch a dead carcass. You'd sit outside the camp until evening and be unclean and all of those things. It, was to, it gave them over and over a sense that you had to be careful, that it was easy to be defiled, and that God was holy. Right? So this washing the clothes, it was practical in the sense they could easily understand it. They didn't have washing machines and, and you know, ten changes of clothes like the poorest person except a homeless has today. We're so wealthy, it's embarrassing. Um, changes of clothing were spare. And so they're, um, you know, you got a bit smelly. Or a lot smelly. You're sweating in the same clothes. Day after day, there wasn't, you know, they're in the wilderness. So it's whatever water you can, sponge bath and all of that in the same clothes. And you're going outwardly. The, the whole concept of holiness had a lot of outward physical symbol. And so this is a special occasion. And washing the clothes and sanctifying yourself it was a, a, as you were, a visual aid. It was a help to get you thinking about this. I mean, a lot of people carry this on today and a lot of people react to it. So you've got people who will dress up in their finest for Sunday and because they're wanting to worship. And I don't think we should belittle them. They might be, it might be unnecessary, but I don't think we should belittle them. That's a heart that's worshiping God. And the person wants to put on a suit and tie, not so they can show off what a dandy I am, but because they have a notion that they're going to the house of God and they want to be presentable and respectable, although it may be misguided, it is from a worshipful heart. And I don't think such people should be criticized. The people that are going to show off the latest fashion, that's a different story. And be careful how you judge and assume what's in the heart. There are some that say, no, you know, those things are, are externals. They're not required today and they... They're up early, they're in prayer, they're in the word, and they, they come so they don't, you know, clear the aisle before them because they smell like they've been, you know, mucking out the barn. Although if that's the best we can do, come to meeting. Um, but they've done their best to be considerate, but they're coming plainly dressed because they're focusing on the internal. That's fine. But the person that is protesting, the person with a suit, and is coming to meeting like a slob, I think could be helped. To do a little better. Could at least be tidy and clean. Uh, for the sake of others. Leaving all of that aside. The, um, this business of sanctification. It's an attitude of mind. It's an ad- I, I, I don't say I get in trouble. There was some pushback maybe. And even today I heard about it recently. Fault was found with me, and that's that's fine. I'm certainly open to discussion. You know, some of these things are misunderstanding. I had made some comment, you know, about not drinking water in the meeting and reverence. Well, the way I remember it is I was really started with people coming into meeting with a Tim Hortons cup and a Tim Hortons coffee. And I expanded that to water and juice and tea and all those other things. And we probably half of us probably have that here. This afternoon. I don't know. Half of us might have had it this morning. This afternoon's a bit different from the morning, right? We're looking at the assembly. But my point was not to try and get a law in that nobody have a drink. I did mention, you know, people followed the Lord Jesus for three days, continuing neither eat. They weren't eating. 
fasting for three days. Isn't that right? Three days of meetings in the sun. No games. No food. Just the word of God. (laughs) It's right there in our Bible. Somehow to suggest that that would be normal today makes you something of a freak or a radical. And I thought it was just being a disciple and reading the scriptures and seeking to follow them. But my point was that, brethren, we are in such a a self-pampering society that has lost any sight of hardiness and of reverence that we could examine ourselves. Yes, an expecting mother or someone with infirmities, do what you need to do so you don't pass out. Of course, right? Or you're nursing a sore throat and you've got to song leader, whatever it is. Right? Of course, do what you need to do. But most of us are just pampering our flesh. Is that right? Maybe not in this room. I mean us as Christendom, right? Is that not the case? I have a friend who for some time went to a, a church uh, or an assembly where they had like cafe bars. They're high tables, high stools, and you could just sit there and sip whatever I think the preacher had a bottle of Snapple, whatever that is. It's some drink that you buy off the thing that he kind of had on the podium and, you know, he's like in his um, Hawaii shirt and his uh, long shorts and drinking the thing of Snapple. And I ask you, is that in accordance with the Word of God? Is strolling into meeting late with a Tim Hortons coffee appropriate for people going to meet with our God is a consuming fire. That, does that verse still carry today? Isn't that what the apostle said? After saying, you're not come to this earthly mount. Reverence, godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you understand what we're saying? So, yes, look after your bodily necessities. Please, especially the sisters who... uh, And any brother with infirmity. And we're not going to judge one another. But can we not judge ourselves? And assemble before God with reverence? With some consecration and Setting, our, setting apart to earnestly seek God together. Are these not features in the Holy Scriptures that should continue today? Yes. We don't want yes men. I, I mean, is this what the Scriptures would, would indicate? Maybe we don't need to conclude that today. But at, certainly at first look it does seem that way. That we should be Christians, should be a people, happy people, happy to be going to meeting. It's not as Moses was, I I quake. John leaned on the bosom of the Lord Jesus. That's New Testament, right? But is the, the comfort of the presence of God such that it can be pictured as a disciple leaning on the Lord's bosom... Is that incompatible with reverence and sanctification and not being casual? 
not wanting to make rules about it or, you know, have a, you know, we can appoint a couple of um, ushers to go around and inspect everybody in smart. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're wanting to assemble. Let's, let's uh, leave that subject alone and go off to the, to, uh, it's a subjective opinion, but it's a question worthy to be asked. Um, do we remember when, when, uh, Trying to remember now, two occasions. I think someone asked the Lord Jesus. Yes, asked the Lord Jesus. um, What is the great commandment in the law? Isn't that right? What is the great commandment in the law? Do you remember? And it wasn't one of the ten here. I would ask us this afternoon. What is the most distinct feature about this here picture of the congregation of the Lord meeting together. What is the most significant thing? The most striking feature, the most desirable, what, however you want to put it. What is the greatest feature here? How readest thou? The presence of God. The presence of God. God meeting with his people. This, I would submit, is the core of assembly, church assembly. Is the people of God meeting with God as the people of God. I'll ask another question. Did Moses need to go to the assembly to meet with God? It's an easy question, by the way, to answer. Will you just lean your head, brother, or did you want to answer that? Who wants to answer that one? No. no. Moses was always meeting with God. What about, the, uh, what about Eldad and Medad? Who are Eldad and Medad? Yes. They're the two that prophesied in the camp. They were two of the 70 upon whom God put his spirit. And 68 of them went out to Moses and, and somebody came running and told Moses that Eldad and Medad prophesy, you know, and if you bring in the Spanish, that's the dad and Medad. Anyway, never mind. So you've got the two dads in the camp prophesying. And Joshua says, my Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses says, envious thou. Did he say envious? For my sake. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. This is forecasting what was to come. And Joel would say, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All are going to prophesy. This is coming in the New Testament. The Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. And so, you don't have to go to assembly for God to speak to you. If you're a child of God. And yet there is something special about the assembly. Because, and God ordained it so. This vision, this manifestation of the presence of God was unique to the assembly. Moses, as an extremely special prophet, um, saw the, you know, the, the goodness of the Lord pass before him and so on and all of that um, manifestation. That was exceeding rare. It wasn't a daily occurrence for Moses. He, he had a pillar of cloud 
over the tabernacle as he went in. That was it. But this, with the trumpet and the, and the sound, all of those things, that manifestation was um, unique to the assembly. One of the things I understand from that is that there is a particular, a unique and intensified manifestation of God among his people when they assemble. That is greater than when they are on their own. That that would be normal when the people are walking with God. But what happened before that assembly? We've said it already, but just underscoring. What happened? Before that assembly, chapter 19. Joseph, they sanctified themselves. So, let's connect these things, brethren. When the people of God sanctified themselves to meet with God, God showed up in a really big way. Let's connect those two dots. Do we think it would have happened if they just came casually strolling in, indifferent, in their dirty clothes, late? It would have been an entirely different picture. Is that right? I am not saying that we can guarantee anything or manipulate God. That's not it at all. But I'm pointing out, brethren, these are the ways of God. And if as Christian people we want more of the richness and fullness that is ours in Christ to be actual in real time, then we need to walk in the ways of God. We need to approach the assembling of ourselves together with a purpose, a consecration, a sanctification, a, a preparation, a seeking. God will meet with a people like that. Isn't it so that the Lord said with the, with the uh, upright, thou wilt show thyself upright, with the fraud, thou wilt show thyself fraud? Is that right? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. With the earnest one, who, or people that want to earnestly meet with God, don't you think God will earnestly want to meet with them? And the casual people that don't mind very much whether or not God really shows up, God doesn't mind very much whether He shows up. I mean, following that thought. I submit then, brethren, that before we even try to determine all of the features of a New Testament church assembly that feature one has to do with consecration and sanctification, preparation, and a desire to meet with God. Everybody. That God was the one who set the parameters. That Moses didn't just make it up and neither should we. That we should seek out of the book of the law and read. That we should search the scriptures. That we should uh, pursue holiness. So, there is that. God was in the midst. The presence of God. And brethren, let the heart of them rejoice at seek the Lord. We need to guard ourselves. Uh, especially, you know, some of us are more prone this way than others. We need to guard our hearts, our thoughts, our emotions from the wrong kind of seeking. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Why? 
Why would you rejoice when you're seeking the Lord? I'll give you a, a bit of an illustration. Do you rejoice when you're seeking your car keys? What's your state of mind when you really have to go now and you can't find your car keys? Are you rejoicing? Would some state of angst or anxiety or agitation be more close to your emotional state or normal? Okay, so why would you, but you're seeking something. You're not, oh, I'm seeking my car key. You're not, you're not skipping your step. Why do you rejoice when you seek the Lord? Yes, because you have a promise, an expectation. You'll find him. He wants to reveal himself to you more than you want to find him. All right? So as we pray, let us not be, oh, Lord, please, like we're trying to convince God. It's God trying to convince us. We should be seeking the Lord earnestly, but with a pep in our step, with a joy, with a buoyancy, with a hope. I'm going to find more than I'm even looking for. We need to banish the futile pleading, you know, that is so common to the human soul. That's born really of unbelief and not knowing the generous heart of God. And most of us start there. When I say most, I'm not excluding myself. I'm excluding that one person, whoever he is or she, in the room that we're also privileged to have in our midst that aren't afflicted with what usually afflicts the rest of us. That's what I mean. I don't like to say we all if it's something negative because, you know, that's just too negative. God has given some people complete victory over all these things and we should rejoice in that. Amen? Yeah. They're there as examples for us. So that's what I mean. It's not that I'm excluding myself. Although there are things, you know, praise God, thank you, Lord, you delivered me. from. And I think we could all say that as well. So um, that's why I would say most. I'm not a fatalist. The salvation of Christ is uh, complete for all who will believe. <clears throat> so we should, uh, we should be preparing for meeting with, um, with joy, with expectation, with earnestness. And banish this idea of a futile pleading as if we need to convince God. Salvation was his idea. Redemption. The promise of the Holy Ghost. Let's be clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that God had his back to the earth and this uh, repentant, earnest, pleading humanity was seeking the favor of an indifferent and implacable God. Completely the opposite. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the God that you now, as a penitent, believing, regenerated child, are seeking more of. How much more is he kindly disposed? This is the kind of thing we need to get our heads in the right space. And approach him with due reverence. It's not like... You know? (laughs) I remember a fellow teacher, you know talking about some of the young people with no manners. And, of course, you can't be too hard on them because they just don't know, and they don't know that they don't know. But, so I'd use humor, and they look at me like, and I, do you have neck problems? You know, I'm just trying to get them to say, sir, could you come here? But it's just some basic, not, you know, like, I'd get that from, you know, a 14-year-old or 15-year-old, as if I'm like his, his waiter or something. And good-natured, they never took offense, but trying to 
and they walk into class. So, uh, did you mean sup, sir? Yeah, sup, sir. And, you know, well, that's an improvement, right? So, just baby steps into some kind of respectful behavior. Reverence for God. We don't snap our fingers at Him. We there's a, a, a easy, a easy to perceive blend of joy and affection with reverence and sobriety and consecration. Well, we well we're going to skate hard next time. Could I draw us, uh, uh, our attention to a couple features, brethren, for us to consider? Um, let's turn to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear it. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. What's going on there, brethren? Why? Why would the people of God not want God to meet with them directly and speak to them directly? Now, before we answer that question... Think about what follows for the rest of Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, and Judges. Think about what will follow this. In the, and then think about that statement. They say, speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us. What's going on? good to ask questions, right? All right, let me ask an easier question. These people here, let's ask a series of questions. I, I remember a, a teacher, this was a first teacher mentor when I was at the University of Toronto, and then they would they'd teach you some theory, and then they'd farm you off to a school for a couple of weeks, and there'd be a, an associate teacher who was to mentor you for two weeks, and, you know, help you learn some on-the-job experience. And he was modeling, you know, how to teach, you know. So I'm sitting there watching. And, and he, he, you know, in a woodworking class, you did have to do theory. And so, and of course, no student wants to do theory when you can be out there with a machine. So you try it. He was uh, trying to liven it up for them and so on. And he said, all right, everyone, uh, you know, stand up. And uh, I'll ask you a question if you... If you can answer it correctly, you can go and get your project out. You know, so they're all motivated. Yeah, that's what we want. And then uh, he'd ask them a question and go around. And then, then he'd turn around. Okay, now you ask me a relevant question. And they're like, stumped, you see, because some have gone and now said, yeah, they, the answers are very easy. It's the questions that are hard. Asking the right question to help us understand the Bible. So I've asked us, or brought to our attention, the question, why would the people do it? Say, well, it's because they don't want to die. All right, we'll come back and really unpack that. If they're being honest there. These people here who met with God and said that to Moses, did they go into the promised land? 
Brother Anthony? All right. You don't think so. Let's go. Let's, let's trace that answer. Why don't you think so? What's that? Okay. Well, I mean, you actually do know the answer, but it, it's late in the afternoon. Brother Dave? No. Well, that's, you're, you're agreeing. You see, you've got support, bro. Um, why do you say that? Okay, but, like, surely these men here, surely some of them went in, all these adult men? No? Okay, so, well, how do you know it's only those two? Like, what made it so definitive? Uh, says so later on. All right? No, he's right. Like, let's go, but let's really, you know, there's a saying now, explain it like I'm five. So let's get it out like I'm five. Storm, you have anything here? They didn't go into the promised land. We've got no, don't think so, definite no, and it says so later on. What kept them out of the promised land? God, okay? Why? Unbelief. Unbelief. What does that mean? What do you mean unbelief? God, what did that look like in real time? Murmuring, yeah, but specifically... Let's, let's go to the incident. What was the incident about the unbelief that got them out? What was the incident? What was it about? The land of Canaan. Okay, keep going. What was that all about? They were sent to search out the land. Yeah. Okay, so we had two groups. The two guys, that, the two men that went in. shouldn't say guys. It sounds so irreverent. Joshua and Caleb, right? And what were Joshua and Caleb saying? Let's go and do this. So what were the other ten saying? Yeah. Don't do it. So the people didn't do it. And so they didn't go into the promised land. Right? Who told them to go search it out? And to go in. Who was the man? All right. So Moses told them to do something and they? All right. Let's read their words again. Speak thou with us and we will hear. Did they make good on that? Okay. Were they afraid of Moses? This is a problem, you know. I don't want to get the wrong answer, you know, because who likes to get the wrong answer? And the teacher says, <laughs> no, that's the wrong answer. Yeah, Cora. I mean, he found out. This, this is not a hard question, really. Let's think about generally, generally. Did the people, were they afraid of Moses? No. They were ready to stone him, rose up in rebellion against him. Spoke against him for his wife. After Korah and them were swallowed up. Next thing you know. You've killed the people of the Lord. And they're ready to go at him again. They feared God but not Moses. We can control Moses. We can't control God. We can have our way if we just have a man telling us what to do. But we can't have our way if we actually have God in the midst. Brethren, this is very instructive for what is wrong in Christian churches today. 
We can just do it our way. And people that will stand up and insist on the word of God will be rejected. You will be rejected. I trust not here. Because we want to do it our way. I mean, I think the state of Christendom today, so much of church history, so much of what we read in the Bible bears that out. This is huge, brethren, huge. We want to be a people that collectively seek the Lord. That together search the scriptures and receive the word of God. Not appoint a man or men to speak to us in the place of God. Gathering, we just sang it uh, this afternoon. We are gathering together unto him. That is, that is key. I trust next time we can, we still have a few minutes. We did start late. We usually allow ourselves an hour of, of uh, looking into the word. We try and keep it interactive on an afternoon. It's less formal. It's not quote unquote assembly. We want to look in the New Testament next time or perhaps a time after as to what the Christian church did. Here we're looking at foundational principles. The assembly is God, the, the con, fill in the blank. This is, in the Old Testament, the picture, we're looking at the congregation of, two words coming, congregation of the Lord. It's the Lord's congregation, and the Lord dictated how he wanted the congregation to assemble. And the first thing he said is prepare yourselves to meet with God. So some of this is a reproof or a rebuke to me as I consider how many times have I just been scrambling to get myself to meeting and to be together. Whereas really there should be a, an unhurried preparation of soul and spirit to meet with God. Now, if this needs to be said, now always, I'm, I'm always going to because I've lived with one of these people. Um, I have a soft spot for mothers looking after babies. So sisters, you are exempt from any burden. God's given you these precious little lives. You're up with them in the night. You're nursing them. They, they have no respect for time. They poop at the most inconvenient... Is that okay to say? I'm so sorry. Anyway, they, they soil themselves at the most inconvenient times, needing a diaper change, sometimes messing your dress... like. You look after that precious soul and you're blameless before God, right? You're being faithful. Brothers, let us be men and take the burden. Now that's not to say sisters shouldn't be spiritual and so on. I'm just talking about the realities here. Let's be clear. We're not laying a heavy burden on the sisters. Um, uh, nursing mothers and people that are infirmed. But for those of us that don't have these... Um, Privilege slash responsibilities. We should be preparing ourselves for meeting. Seeking the Lord. Organizing our lives. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm looking back at, at times. I've got some, I mean, I'm in process, but it's like turning around a tanker for me. should be a lot easier. But a lifestyle of... Being prepared, well-rested, what a novel idea. Hey, I went to bed earlier so I could be 
alert for prayer meeting on Saturday. Right? 6.30 prayer meeting. Not just there, but with an alert mind. Spirit mind. Church, prepared, having been before the Lord and ready to assemble with others who have been likewise prepared. And the presence of God manifests in the meeting. Is that right, brethren? This is how we should be assembling ourselves. We are gathering together unto him. I didn't give him that song to, te- to, to lead, by the way, but I'm going to make use of it. Here in my notes, the assembly, the first point I have is the presence of God. The presence of God. That's what we want. The second point I have is the, the word of God. We'll, we'll look at that. Um, but this is, this I would submit, brethren, are, these are foundational to assembly. Let us be a people, not a religious people. A traditional people, you know, just routinely going through um, the motions. I remember reading an article by Hillel Halkin, who is a, an Orthodox Jew. I think he lives in Jerusalem. And he writes, or at least he did write, for an a American Jewish magazine called Commentary Magazine. And he told me that his father told him, you know, black hat, bearded, His father told him that he had not the slightest belief in the supreme being to whom he poured out his heart every day in mournful prayer. Bizarre. But this is religion. This is tradition. This is just the mindless doing of things. We are not for that. We are wanting to be those that walk with and know and pursue and live in the presence of the living God. Uh, this is not just a religious duty, we've got to do this. This is, uh, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul panteth or thirsteth after thee, O God. And a company of such people that draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to He's given the Holy Spirit into the heart of each one that has um, wholly believed on the Lord Jesus. But there is so much more. Think of these Israelites here. They had already been the people of God. Their size came up to God. And he sent them Moses. Well, that was a blessing. Turned really bad and they got mad at Moses. But in the end they came out and what a happy day. Right? They were there. They, they slew the lamb. They, they, you know, having gone through all the plagues and the hard times. Now they escaped. It was a time. It was a midnight run. But they spoiled the Egyptians and they were, whew, freedom. That was a freedom convoy. Mm. And no emergency measures act shut that one down. I mean, he tried and look what happened. Yeah. Uh, it was short-lived. The joy was short-lived. <laughs> now they're at the water's edge and there's Pharaoh and they're at Moses again. The Lord fights for them. They go through. And they, they, their persecutors are destroyed. And then the jubilation again. You know, sing ye to the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. There was dancing, there was jubilation. They're going from joy to joy. Not long before they're murmuring again. And now this, the, the, the mountains quaking, they have the presence of God. They had already had a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. They'd had the presence of God. But this was a whole new manifestation and revelation. There's more. And for Christian people who have genuinely 
um, trusted in Christ and experienced the, the, the joy of their sins forgiven and deliverance from bondages of sin. There's so much more of Christ to be known if we'll go on with him. And won't it be so, brethren, that as a congregation we will collectively discover that if we will meet with God God's way? And part of that is coming, assembling as God has commanded. It's not a mountain. We're not coming to a building. We could be in a cave or something. It's the assembling that carries in the New Testament, right? In the Old Testament, it was a mountain, then a tabernacle, then a temple. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So the, the mountain and the apostle just said that you're not come unto a physical mountain. That's not the case, but a heavenly one now. But the approach, the attitude of heart is still the same. We're going to meet with the others. Gonna, the presence of God going to be richer, full of the manifestation. What can, come, what can God not do in the company of such a people? He has all the gifts of His Spirit, right? And He can manifest them through one or another according to His will. And is it not so, brethren, that there may be for us the will of God, manifestation of spiritual gifts such as we have not known collectively that God has in store for us if we will seek Him as we are? This is not to reproach or, or everything that we have done in our seeking of God, but this is to go on with the Lord. Amen. This is the way. Exhort one another daily. Uh, let us seek the Lord, brethren. And, uh, well, as is my want, I've not, perhaps, uh, well, I've not covered as much as I thought we might have in the Scripture. But I hope it has been profitable for us all to consider these things. I hope we'll remember them and do them. Just think about changing our lives. Just think, how about one, one thing? As, as the, the Lord's Day approaches, in our thinking, in our heart, in our conduct, to come with a mind to be prepared and praying to meet with God. Now I'm sure there are some that are ever faithful in that. But for us all, Every time, Lord, we are seeking you. Uh, sisters with babies to just get themselves to meeting, you're like heroes, praise the Lord. But, you know, what about those of us that are not doing that? Get ourselves prepared in mind and spirit to meet with God. Reverence, consecration, to come in, not casually with a Tim Hortons coffee in our in our hands. Or McDonald's. You know. Switch brands. Lemonade. You, you know what I mean? Those of us that have physical needs. No one's looking and judging. It's nothing like that. We know what our bodies require. And so does God. It's the heart coming. To meet with the Lord. Set apart. I think we'll we'll leave it there. And, uh, yes, questions. Yeah.
Oh, well, I mean, uh, that's arbitrary on my part. So in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, had three divisions. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And the writings would have been put under the heading of the Psalms. And they would include Job, um, Psalms, Proverbs, I think, Song of Solomon. Uh, I forget exactly. Yeah, these would be the right. So the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, when they say Psalms, it's just that the Psalms was, I think, the first book in that collection of books. So they had three divisions. Now, in the New Testament, we have the Gospels for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the history, Acts. We have the teachings of the apostles, that's the epistles. And we have the Revelation. Gospels, the history, the teachings of the apostles, and the Revelation, which is a culmination of all prophecies. That's really how the Bible is organized, but it's all the Word of God, and we need to rightly divide it all. It's not, well, that's Old Testament, you know. The church begins in Matthew 1.1. That's not true at all. It's because there are things in Matthew that don't apply to us today, but we can still, not directly, but we can still... um, Learn from them, make use of them. So it's the rightly dividing of the word. That's the the point. And I'm not one to change Old Testament, New Testament. It's not wrong if we understand it properly. But so many people, oh, that's Old Testament. Just wave it away. Uh, That's all we were getting at. You're going to race out, right? Anthony, would you want to stand and commend us all to God's keeping?